My name is Penny Lacasso and I am the world's first happiness hacker. Imagine a world where human happiness and well-being drove our decision-making. A world where technology was used to amplify human potential rather than replace it. The Human First Podcast is designed to encourage you to explore your curiosity about the future of humanity. Our conversations are focused on building skill in intentional adaptability, creating the foundation to positively influence the future for yourself, but also for others. Join me here each week as we put humans first. Melanie, welcome to Human First. Thank you, Penny. Now... You're an interesting character. You reached out to me on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and told me about some crazy things that you were doing, which I was instantly attracted to. So before we get down to these amazing things that you are doing, the first question I ask everyone that I interview is, who are you as a human being? This is a question I've heard you ask other people before on your wonderful podcast, and I often wonder how or have wondered how I'd answer it because coming from a um, an art therapist point of view, I find it very difficult to just, just define myself as who am I as a human if I believe that um, everything in the world is interconnected and interrelational. Yep. So how do I define, well, I'm human because... I'm emotional or because I'm this or that when I think that there's many things that aren't human that are emotional as well. It's like, what is it that is human about me or who am I as a human? And I think that I can say, who am I as Melanie or who am I as a being in the world is someone who wants to connect with others, someone who's passionate about doing everything that they can for people to feel well and for people to be gentle on themselves and to love themselves and to not be afraid to connect to others and be creative is probably who I am as a human um, in the world. So talk to us about some of these projects that you've got on the go because they're quite different. And they're tapped into something that I'm massively passionate about, which is human connection. Um, The two larger projects are uh, Dead Letter Club, which is a creative letter writing movement. um, And it's based in anonymity and people getting together and putting down their phones and doing this really... Um, strange thing called letter writing um, with pens and paper and they come along and leave reality at the door assume a character of their own um, creation and write and they post post that letter um, in the room that evening and through this incredibly convoluted system I've made up it's delivered to someone else in the room Um, who then embodies the addressee and will write back. And so letters are flying around the room throughout the course of the night and you're building up this exchange of letters and, in fact, a a storyline and a a narrative um, with someone in the room who, you know, might be Blackbeard for the night or whatever it is and you just don't know who it really is in the room. 
but a relationship is building. There's something very magic about letter writing. It becomes very intimate very quickly. Mm. Um, the being anonymous, I think, helps us be gentle on ourselves with, um, oh, I'm really bad at writing. I'm terrible. I don't know what to do. There's a, a, a kind of a judgment that is extracted by not putting yourself forward, but rather just what's in your thoughts. Um, so the end of the evening is this spontaneous piece of short fiction that was written by two people that don't know each other. And it turned out to be quite extraordinary. And people are just splitting their sides, laughing or tears rolling down their face. And it's turned out to have more layers than I could have anticipated. Knowing what I wanted to achieve was this kind of subtle provocation into creativity and connection um, but I gave it to the world and it, it's just gone a little bit bananas they love it what do you do with the letters afterwards I've become custodian so there's a little talk at the start of each event and I'm custodian of the correspondence um, and I'm doing my best to try and get it out in the world because truly every one of us is creative and have let is has the potential to create beauty and the 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 letters are just extraordinary and I feel that it's um in the service to the letters I need to try and get them out into you know a coffee table book or whatever it might be and just have I just sort of fantasize about people having dinner parties where once they've had their dinner and they've got the sherry or whatever it is and they open up these letters and they take turns reading and, and laughing and thinking about you know that person isn't a writer that person has a an office job but they took that time out for that two hours in that evening and look at what a a lovely story they made and it's and it's it it never ceases to um not surprise me but inspire me what people are capable of when they give themselves permission and and space just to just switch off and drop in and do that and I do what I do because um, so many people will go and buy themselves a really lovely notepad and you know it's kind of a bit glittery on the front and they've got a really great fountain pen or a set of Derwent's and they sit down at home and they just look at it and they think I don't know what to do and maybe they just do lots and lots of concentric circles over and over again and that's kind of it and may beat themselves up a bit and and don't write at all and they've got this journal that is untouched by coming into this space with a group of people that are equally nervous uh, there's just a lovely breakdown and then rebuilding of courage and um, kind of forgiveness that it's not my profession but I have a right to be creative um, and we're doing it together. So I love the fact that you create space. Mm. And I think the other thing that you said, which um, I always say what we do with our work is create space. So much of what we're doing is creating space for people to focus on the things that matter. Mm. Um, And the other thing I always say to people is you have no idea what you're capable of, no idea of your potential. And fear is one of the greatest barriers that stops us from realising our potential. Mm. Um, and I've learned through my own experience, the more I step into fear, the more the outcome is game-changing. Mm. It's a practice. It's not easy. Mm. So you said there was two projects. That's one. Mm. 
Um, a, a newer project that was born from Dead Letter Club is called the Library of Letters, and that was um, in response to a 76, maybe 77 now year old man from regional New South Wales who saw an article on Dead Letter Club, you know, it's out there, um, and sent me an email saying, "What about me? I live in this little tourist town in the in the Blue Mountains. How do I do it?" Um, I really love letter writing and he told me about his mother in the 40s who put a call out into a women's magazine saying who wants to write a letter and she created this book which she called The Lordy Lord. Um, She's not here obviously anymore to ask what it means and it um, had everybody who responded, which it turns out was quite a lot, name and address on the front, and you'd write a letter, and instead of sending it back to a person, you just send it forward. So you're never writing to anyone specifically, it was just an open letter, mm-hmm. and you'd send it to another woman in who Australia who would do the same thing. There was about three or four of these volumes travelling around the country. I think she sounds like the most extraordinary woman. And... I am, you can probably tell by now, passionate about letter writing and and the historical value of it as well, um, giving an insight into people and the context of the time that they live in a very personal way. Um, those books are a treasure and I wonder what would happen in our times right now if we project forward another 60 years. How would someone come to understand the the context of what it was like Absolutely. to be a human or a woman or whatever it might be when we don't have things like that. We've got emails and lots of blogs and things, but I just don't feel it has the same kind of resonance over that amount of years, like opening up a, a volume of, of letters. Um, and so I decided to try and, or am, reviving the project Thanks to technology, because as we were saying earlier, it is a part of life. I've been able to put the call out globally. And so I now have a, um, it's just a suitcase, we're just starting out, but I've got letters from Marseille, Berlin, Philippines, just all around the world from people writing these open letters, which I'd like to take to, well, in fact, I am. This week I go out to Castle Maine to a school, show them the letters, have them contribute a letter, I think it would be particularly wonderful to get myself into aged care homes and hospitals and have people reading letters and and writing letters. And um, what I've called it is an archive of humanity, which I believe it is. And I hope that it's a lifelong project and that one day I fill a room with letters from people from around the world. Oh, that's so beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) I am... Oh, gosh, I've been on a journey the last month. I read the book Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Mm. And, you know, this this is something I've been practising for a long time and I'm still not perfect. But one of the things that it um, had in it was a gentleman had reduced his engagement with tech to create more space for what matters and that had enabled him to write a letter to his children each day and put it in their lunchbox. And so I started doing this uh, about three weeks ago. Oh, good on you. And so I, I do it every day that I have my son, and he freaking loves it. Yeah. 
He loves it. And to the point where um, I sat in a boardroom meeting the other week with 12 other men. I was the only female in the room. And I reached down in my bag and I was feeling a little bit uncomfortable. You know, it was a new setting. And I reached down into my bag and I pulled out a note that he'd, he'd snuck in there and he'd written me a letter back. And so you've totally got me converted on the power of letters. And even just a small letter like that, it's it's such a magical little thing for him to open up with his lunch every day. It's a very generous thing for us to do. I really am baffled at how we communicate even with people that we love. I have a bugbear, um, which everybody's now about to find out. When people text me, they don't even begin with hello anymore. And when you pick up the phone, you don't just start talking. You would at least say hello. But now when we use these messenger and text and these apps, there's, there's not even a greeting. And I that kind of hurts that erosion of of connection and that's what I guess it would mean to be human to to be seen and to be respected and 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 not just be a part of that pace I don't think that we acknowledge how much we're a part of that pace we communicate as quickly as we scroll now and there needs to be pause to to um be generous with how we reach out to people and letter writing provides that it's it's an in- incredibly giving thing I, I journal a lot too it's a way to just mm. help me get my thoughts out um, and journaling and letter writing are two such different experience experiences journaling is something that I just know for my well-being I need to do like people do yoga for me it's my mindfulness or, or yeah. well-being um, but when I write a letter, there's a real kind of pride and, and joy that I feel because it's so giving and so interesting that when I post it, which when I write an email to someone or a message to someone, I will often go back and reread what I've said just to you know make sure that I've got it right or what it was. You can't do that with a letter. You post it and it's gone. They might reply back. And by the time they do, you've probably have forgotten what you've written. And that's really lovely, that kind of letting go as well. Mm. You just have to hold on to stuff. And we, we hold on to stuff through our phones now, which probably makes us hold it like, you know, it's worth all the gold in the world because we put so much it in is. it and we can't just let it go as well. So... I'm interested to know what was the trigger to set you on this journey and I wonder if that links to the question of what has you concerned about the future. Where What got me to the place that I am now is this is only one modality. Writing is one modality that I use to try and inspire creativity with people. I do have some other events around um, drawing and visual stuff which is really fun and performance art. Um, and I've been doing them for many, many years and started exploring art therapy after having some particularly difficult moments in um, my life where words um, words don't cut it. Some things you can feel and you can't say yeah. uh, and that kind of therapy or that kind of expression is not the place that I was in. Um, we went through IVF and that's a very difficult journey with a lot of um, loss and grief usually involved. Um, 
and through that process I really lent on expressing myself with drawings and there was a point when I decided I need to reach back out to the world I'm becoming very small and Mm. this isn't good and I didn't no one knew um, and all I needed to do was show one picture and I was overwhelmed by response and people knew exactly what I was feeling. They probably didn't know the very fine details of what was happening, but they knew what I was feeling without any words. Um, That was very powerful for me to want to help people in spaces where um, speaking is too difficult. So I started my Masters of Art Therapy and um, realised that I was only servicing people in a visual way and there's many ways people need to express themselves whether it's movement or sound mm. or writing there's or playing with clay or sand whatever they whatever their jam is um I wanted to push deeper um and so there are other things bubbling away but right now um Dead Letter Club and the Library of Letters have, have shown themselves to be quite powerful as um tools for exploring many things um so that's where i am now what concerns me about the future i think that there's too much anxiety around who we are and what other people are doing and how quickly we can consume it um and this kind of rat race thing operates on a whole other level from when the term was probably first coined um and it really worries me i have enough young people in my life and my own daughter to be afraid of how that's going to impact them Um, because for me I think it has a direct link on um, damaging creativity and I strongly link creativity to well-being Mm. and an individual's well-being impacts a community's well-being and so if we are not taking care of ourselves and because, I mean, and it it even operates and there's heaps of research to show the impact of technology and phone use and that on our brains in in chemical, cognitive, the neuroscience behind it, it is creating really fast, easy, negative pathways and feedback loops, destroying imagination, destroying creativity, enhancing anxiety and eroding connection um, because certainly we're connected I keep looking at your phone like I'm just talking to it Um, but um, yes we're connected but it's not in a meaningful way where we're really exploring who we are in the real world um, which is really fraught technology has developed and operates and continues to grow at a rate much faster than we can know the impact that it has on us and so I just want to make sure that we slow down a little bit until we do start to be more aware of the negative effects and you mentioned you were reading digital minimalism I read um Jerome Lanier's 10 reasons to quit your social media at the end of last year um, very easy and necessary reading um, and so I did as a little test for about five or six weeks 
and from for someone who's already very conscious of it, um, it was profound how well I, it was to get up in the morning and output rather than input and how that changes the shape of your whole day. Um, really important things like that. And um, I think for children growing up in a space where they don't have memories like I do yeah. of being phone free oh, and things like that, yeah. where do they go back to? A lot of my events, I'm only just reaching out to children in schools now. Mostly what I do is for adults because I see we're not well. Don't necessarily need a psychologist, but not necessarily well. So if I can fill that space, um, hopefully I can help. Um, but what I do by these playful, creative things is tap back into nostalgia. You remember when you were playing with the crayons. You remember when you got the letter from the girl from your buddy in high school. You remember that stuff and it triggers something and you can get involved and get excited about it. How do I do that for a 10-year-old who never had that experience and when they're 35 and life is sort of not great, they don't have that to go back to? No, this is what we talk about. It's, um, I always talk to my son about which era would it be better to grow up mm. or be an eight-year-old in. And he, you know, we talk about this era and I talk about my era and he's like, your era sounds like a magical fairyland. Like their normal is different. Yeah, because their normal is a world where they've never known anything but technology. Mm. And it's it's amazing in terms of the level of intellect that it's created. I mean, I work with young kids and it just blows me away, like how smart kids are between, you know, the ages of 13 and 17 now. Like it's mind blowing. But their, you know, their IQ is pretty good. They're very, you know, intelligent, and they're very worldly. Yeah. Um, but the issues and the complexity of the issues that they're dealing with, and the lack of human skills that have been practiced through the lack of human connection, is really creating a problem in the context of, as you say, them being well. But then they have no reference point of what it's like to be disconnect, to disconnect from technology and reconnect humanly, mm. and they've never experienced the benefits. And I think when you haven't experienced the benefits, it's very hard to push yourself to that change there's a lot of ethics involved that they're not learning and that's simply something that we sort of played out in the schoolyard in a very subtle way I remember speaking to a kid who was probably um mid high school and shouldn't say kid a person um very very clever and was incredibly proud and so you should be of developing um some software that would make humans obsolete he'd created a particular program that would make them obsolete which is what so many of them are driven to do right now and I said to him but what does what's the impact of that do you not and at no point and, and this is in fact the way of the future and AI um, but what I found most curious was that it at no point in his journey of creating something did he stop and think about the ethical or human implication. And this is where I come back to what I was saying earlier about the future and technology. It develops so quickly and we have no um, kind of watchdog in place, like an, an ethics panel or something to just check in and be like, but what is the impact well, we have many ethics channels being formed. The mm. challenge is, my challenge around it is that the people that are forming them are the ones that have the most to gain. The, yeah. 
yeah that <laughs> and so and so what i'm suggesting and and in doing what i do is that we should really it's a personal accountability because oh, yeah. the, there are the the ethics committees and the the large social media companies do have those panels but as you pointed out there there's problems uh, there's with a that conflict of interest and we certainly need as to remain human to be um to have our own radar mm. on what it is we're creating and clever enough to create but what it can do when we do that we talk i've spoken to a lot of experts about just because technology can do something we need to ask ourselves whether we actually mm. want it to given the implications i think finland's got some really interesting stuff going on at the moment in this space so they're actually educating or well, they've given a significant budget to educating the general population around artificial intelligence yeah. and the intent of doing that yeah. is actually so that they can make like understand the impacts of it and make informed decisions from an ethical perspective yeah. i think that's brilliant mm. yeah and, and, and it does need to be an inclusive conversation because without many perspectives someone will be impacted and someone is is left out when I say someone I mean on a on a community yeah. level uh, and this idea that the past was um, run by muscle the now is run by brain but the future is led by heart we have to remember that because the, the now people that are developing the future um, just need that tap on the shoulder to mm. say, are we doing this for the next generation? So my next question um, for you, which I always find interesting, given we spoke about space yeah, and creating space, mm. and it's so interesting to me because people always say, I wish I could do what you've done and how did you turn your life upside down? And I'm like, well, I created space. Yes. You know, I created six <laughs> months of space yes. um, and I had no idea what I was going to do, which is yeah. a very uncomfortable position to be in. And I think most of us can't even create three hours of space yeah. to actually focus on ourselves, you know, how we're feeling or actually develop those human skills for the future and so much of what we do. So how do you create the space for what matters in your life? How, what sort of strategies do you employ? It's really very difficult because life really is ticking um, and I think the largest amount of space I ever created and it is a little bit sad when I when I realized this but the biggest amount of space I ever gave myself was my maternity leave mm, you know <laughs> especially if it's people like made of of our makeup it wasn't it was finally letting myself be free of having to answer, but what are you doing? But what else do you do? But what are you, and, and this, this, and what's your job and, and all that. And I was like, I'm, I've just be, I've just given birth so you can just go away for 12 months. And I sat there loving her and at the same time, incredibly fertile ideas and just, and it was really very spacious to be a, a new mum for me and a lot was born from that time um, and I learned a, a lot about the value of, of space. Now it's a little bit more difficult as um, she's a, a toddler and mm -hmm. there's other things going on. Um, Sometimes I think now I take it in first thing in the morning I do try and get up earlier and set aside time um, to get everything out of my head to think about the day before to think about what's happening next and that idea of 
output first rather than input and it puts me in good stead for the rest of the day. The reality is I don't get to go away on retreats or holidays or, you know, um, things where I can just move outside of the daily life to make that kind of space so I take it where I can in very practical ways and for me that's in the morning I'm not very good at night but I'm really love the mornings I was reading um a book a biography of um gosh who was it it's a a poet and she would get up every morning and she was a mother of two and would get up every morning and decided that she valued that time over sleep and I and I know exactly um where she's coming from with that sentiment because there's a kind of anxiety when too many ideas and things build up and no movement so to take that time out in the morning when everybody's asleep and there's no cars and it's very quiet is both a kind of internal space and also a very physical mm-hmm. manifestation of space as well in that quiet time. And that's really as much as I have right now with, with space making. But, but the fact that you've got it. Mm, yeah. Um, well, you have, you have to. It is a bit of a... At a point it becomes a discipline, otherwise you will... Or there won't be movement and you'll exist in a certain spot. But I love what you said about, you know, loads of ideas and then obviously no movement Mm. creates angst. Mm. And I think that's what happens is there's so much input. Like I love this concept of input versus output. Mm. There's just so much input. Um, I love Don Price talks about it as knowledge obesity. Yes. Yeah, and so yes. what happens is we're fat, you know, with all this or information obesity, with all this information, but we just don't have the processing power to actually turn it into tangible action that's mm-hmm. meaningful or impactful. Um, so interesting. But I think your morning, I totally relate to your mornings. Like I off during the week, I get up at 5 a.m. every morning mm-hmm. religiously, and I'm programmed for it now. But that two hours in the morning, whether I go to the gym when I don't have my son mm-hmm. at 5 o'clock or, you know, often I'll do two hours of work, I do, you know, phone calls. Um, overseas and you know passion projects it's magical it's just sacred and I think like you say there's something about the fact that the world is silent at that time um, that makes a real difference and there's a certain amount of reflection as well when things are quiet in that way Mm. Um, and there's only a few sounds and this idea of the information obesity um, we can go into say the forest and there's actually an overwhelming amount of information there's birds and crunching leaves and wind and so many sounds but we don't become overwhelmed in the way when we walk down the street and we're looking at the phones and there's a billboard telling us something and there's another thing telling us something and it's a different kind of information that that's Mm. coming in and we reach a capacity where we can't process it anymore and we've ended up sort of using all of our credits and there's none left for our own thoughts or or things like that Mm. so what um advice would you have for someone who's wanting to i think be more human yeah or connect back with building human skills based on the work that you do any sort of little simple hacks or tips if someone's trying to create space and yeah skill in or reconnect with these human um skills I'm convinced that we're built, and I know, and I know that there's evidence uh, we're built 
to connect. Mm. It's a human thing to want to connect. And that can be um, really scary for people in a world where there is a lot of social anxiety as well. But I would really encourage people to try and find a space that's that's gentle where they can just even witness other people and be still and and, and no phone and no photos and no update um, and, and try and reach out if it's one person or, or many people. Um, and if that's going to the gallery, that's a, a, a very easy way to be with people and everybody sort of present and looking at beauty or going to an art class or going to a book club these are my biggest ways because this is where I've genuinely seen impact and I think that to feel more human is to be with more humans couldn't agree more I'm constantly telling people to talk to random strangers. Yes. All the things your mum told you not to do, yeah. I'm now saying, get out there and talk to as many strangers yeah. as you can. Yeah, yeah. Write a letter. R- write a letter if you don't want to talk to someone and leave it on the tram. Oh, I love that. Or people could write a letter and contribute to your suitcase. People could So how do they do that? That's probably a good close. Yes. How do they do that? Yes. Um, please do just write an open letter um, to the library of, of letters about yourself, about your life, what about your day, whatever it is that you want to write. Um, and the address is P.O. Box 371 Elwood 3184. Thank you so much Thank for you your time so today. Much. How lovely. Thank you for joining us today on the Human First Podcast. If you loved your experience, please take a moment to leave a review on either iTunes or Stitcher and provide us with a rating. If you'd like to access the show notes or learn more about what we're up to in the context of humanising the future, jump on over to humanfirstpodcast.com. See you next week.